welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast. For the last month or so, I've been talking to many Utah corporate leaders from companies that have been recognized as family friendly and best places to work for women. As listeners know, I'm always interested in all types of organizational strategies that companies implement to support women and families. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, Karen Hade Huntsman, Endowed Professor of Leadership in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University, and I'm also the founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. This is the sixth in a set of episodes that focus on what organizations are doing to recruit, retain, and advance women, and many of these practices and policies are great for men, too. Today, I'm highlighting Recursion, which was founded to use science and technology to change the world for the better. They are a clinical stage biotechnology company decoding biology by integrating technological innovations across biology, chemistry, automation, machine learning, and engineering to industrialize drug discovery. Joining me today is co-founder and CEO Chris Gibson and Heather Kirkby, Chief People Officer. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So Chris, I would love to have you take the first question, and and that is just tell us a little bit more about Recursion and, and what you do. Absolutely. So Recursion was really founded to try and discover better medicines more quickly uh, and more efficiently. And the reason that's important is because, as we all know, medicine can play a pretty important role in our lives. We've all had relatives who have been sick or have relatives who faced cancer or friends that have faced cancer, and these are all pretty devastating conditions. We focused early on on rare diseases, things like cerebral cavernous malformation that most people haven't heard of. But I haven't. If you, if you have that <laughs> disease, it's it's really important to have a treatment. And today, there's really no treatment for patients like that. And we also work in areas like neurosciences and 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 cancer. And ultimately, we're trying to bring robots and software to try and make the process of discovering medicines better. Uh, and so far, we're making a lot of progress. It's still early. Uh, it costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time to discover and develop medicines, but we're on a great, great path so far to try and make it better for, for patients everywhere. Wonderful. How long have you been in existence and how many employees do you have? We were founded at the end of 2013. So we're coming up on, on nine years, 10 years soon, and we've got now just, uh, just under 500 employees. And are they all in Utah? Uh, probably 75, 80% are in Utah. We also have offices in Toronto, Montreal, and Milpitas, California. Great. And what's the, the difference between or what's the makeup in terms of gender? Uh, so right now, I think we're about 44%, mm-hmm. 44% uh, women across the company. Okay. And that's relatively even at all levels of the company, including the executive team. Wow. That's something that many companies struggle with. And I'm sure if you have women at the executive team level, then you've put some work into that uh, because it doesn't come naturally for most companies, especially in, in STEM areas. So, all right, Heather, I would love to bring you in and have you talk about some of the more established family-friendly policies and programs that you've implemented at Recursion and, and why do you offer them as well? Yeah, Susan, Dr. Madsen, I love the question. I'm going to start with your second question of why, because I think we have to back up and understand why we do these things and then get into what. And so the why is deeply important to us. You know, Chris unpacked a little bit about the work that we do, and you actually named our mission, which is to decode biology. This is inherently really hard work. 
And in service of our mission, one of the things that we deeply believe is that building a diverse workforce is one of the key levers to do this incredibly hard work together to do something that's never been done. And there's the obvious sort of functional diversity that's required. We've got data scientists and engineers working with computational biologists and chemists. But beyond that, gender diversity, racial and ethnic diversity, diversity along the lines of sexual orientation, these things really matter to us because the research just, we all know, right? Yes. It, right? Yeah. It's diverse, pretty clear. It's diverse, pretty clear teams outperform homogenous teams and so we're going to put everything in our corner to 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 achieve that mission so that's the big business driver i think it's also important to state that we feel incredibly deeply that there's simply injustice in the world and that as a company we also have a responsibility on the grounds of sort of the moral case to overcome forces like unconscious bias that play a role in every people decision in every company and strive to create an environment that's fair for everybody and so those are our big drivers if you will our big why um we also Heather, feel oh, Heather, real quick i'm so glad you said that second one because most of the time when i do have conversations with companies it's really about the bottom line and you have to argue mm. the business case i'm yeah. putting quote marks up yeah. for the bottom line but i love that you said it's a moral imperative too i think that's great thank you and I'll just say, look, if we look at where power resides in society, companies hold a massive amount of yep. power. With power comes responsibility. So we feel really deeply about the, the moral case too. I'll also say that related to both of those, being a Utah-based company, knowing that, look, four years in a row, we've been at the bottom of the list from uh, the perspective of women's equality as published by WalletHub. Look, we have a role to be a leader and create change locally. And uh, so that's important to us as well. So that's our why. I'm happy now to get into the what, unless you have any more questions or comments. No, that's that. that's great. And then if Chris has comments, you know, after you, I would love to hear those. So I'm gonna highlight quickly just five specific areas that, that are family friendly from our perspective and happy to go into other areas that are, you know, more women centric, but the five, I'm going to start with the childcare center. We committed when we were a private company to open a childcare center. And there were a lot of reasons to do that, but I'll name one. Again, it goes back to the mission. It goes back to uh, attracting the best and most diverse talent from across the country. It's really hard to move people to Utah when you're one of the bottom three states for childcare. And so we knew we had to solve that problem if we were going to get the talent we needed to serve the mission. So that was a big reason to open a childcare center in partnership with Bright Horizons. It's on site here in the Gateway. The next one I'll reference is parental leave. And so we offer uh, six weeks to new parents and 12 weeks to the parent that gives birth. We offer coaching pre and post the leave. As you know, that transition is simply not easy when you're trying to thread the needle of becoming a parent and and feathering in work and all of the things. Um, the next one is is one that's you know holds a special place in my heart, and it's our on-site policy. As we've sort of, dare I say, emerged from the pandemic. I hope so. <laughs> the policy that we've set is that we expect people to be on site at least forty percent of their time. Okay. And I see a lot of the world and a lot of companies continue to try to put people and work into boxes of days and. For decades, the research has said that working parents and families need more flexibility in the workplace, and I just think we have to try harder. And so our commitment to at least 40% 
gives a lot of creativity to employees and their managers to decide what that looks like. It might look different each week, each month. Um, I will tell you personally, it's given me a ton of new agency and creativity in, in terms of how I live my life and how I mother in ways that I could have never imagined. Did you, I mean, for many companies, I've heard that COVID provided them a time to go back and really look at job descriptions again, look at the, you know, how you can do, you know, remote work more. So I'm sure you've had some of that shake up to figure out what that looks like. Deeply, and I'll share a couple of highlights, a couple, two things that have been, I think, massively crystallized and I'm going to start with one that might seem non-intuitive since we're talking about remote work, actually being physically together is massively important to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural underpinning for the company that we're trying to build. We think it fosters more creativity and deeper human connection and better relationships that yields better work. At the same time, we also believe that there's power in this ability to work more flexibly and at times work remote. And so for us, it was threading that needle. What, would, what does it look like to hold that expectation that we are gonna spend time together and at the same time allow people to be remote? And that's where we landed on the policy. Yeah. One thing I'd just add, a little bit of a challenge, I think for us, maybe other businesses, is that a subset of our workforce does need to be on site yeah. Uh, yeah. much more often. So we run laboratories where we're doing experiments and. So we've, we've done a lot of work to try and make sure that we find ways to create flexibility for those employees at the company who have a job that requires them to be on site. And I think one of the things that Heather's touching on is we ask a lot of our teams, whether they're working from home, whether they're working here, whether they're working remotely, uh, ultimately, we ask a lot of them. And I think because we're working on something so hard, we're asking so much of our, of our team. That's one of the reasons why this moral imperative is so important to us is because there's sort of a contract, right? We're going to take care of our team and we're going to ask a lot of our team to try and accomplish a pretty audacious mission. But you do have to find some balance because different employees and different kinds of work are more or less amenable to kind of the, the, the flexibility that's so important. And I'll, I'll just say there was some latest research, actually, I was listening in just a couple of weeks ago to some scholars doing a remote work panel. And I did 20 years ago, a whole research, uh, my dissertation on it. Um, and, and they have found that still two to three days in the office, at least, is still not 100% remote if you can help it because of the team dynamics. So it's an interesting element to try and get that mix, especially for different types of employees and needs. And maybe I'll pull that thread too and speak to our lab employees for a minute. The flexibility is relevant for them. You know, during the pandemic, they after their shifts, they would leave and go home. And there was some wonder on their part as we all came back to the office, would they be expected to to stay? And and so the, the this notion of flexibility, we're really intending to afford it to everyone, whether they're office workers, lab workers, and so on. The other thing I'll build on is to just say, to Chris's point, this is entirely values-based, right? We talk about mm -hmm. our value, we care, and we talk about these high expectations around our value that we deliver. And so these policies are a reflection of that. And, and that's actually a good segue to the next one I was gonna mention, which is our vacation and time off policy. So we shut the company down twice a year, once at the beginning of July and once at the end of December. And that's also a reflection of people give a lot to our mission and we wanna give them time and space to take a collective breath. And in addition, we encourage people to take at least 15 days off a year and we have five holidays. And the comment I would make about all of this and the conversation Chris and I have had is, we wanna build the kind of company where people are gonna make choices like, 
I'm going to be there for a family event. If there's a wedding or a funeral, there's not a line of thought that's going to be, well, I don't have any vacation left. Or if I do that, then I can't take the vacation next month. We Our policy is designed to unconstrain that constraint that it exists in most companies. I love that. That that really does create a lot of stress for employees. And Heather, you and I know the research on that, right? Yeah. The more stress, the more mental, yeah. the more physical, yeah. the less likely they're going to stay at your company and be healthy. Yeah, which is actually a perfect segue to the last one I was going to mention, which is our health benefits. And so we pay full in health insurance premiums. Um, and so that's for the entire mm. family. We offer a wellness stipend, a monthly stipend, and we offer a, mo- a mental health benefit that allows people access to free coaching sessions, 14 coaching sessions a year and 12 therapy sessions a year. And so you have very rapid access to the kind of help that you need in which, you know, in the environment we're in right now is more important than ever. That's awesome. I don't think I've heard that from another company with the uh, actual coaching sessions and therapy sessions mm-hmm. really built in. So I think we all need good therapy, right? Is that, the, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and especially with the pandemic, but with, with the more mental health challenges that we're seeing with our adults, but also our kids, mm-hmm. right? And, and Chris, before we shift to the next question, which one do you hear most employees mentioning the most of, you know, what they appreciate? I think it varies for every employee. I mean, a lot of our employees who have young kids think that the childcare that we offer is the best thing uh, since sliced bread. And we have others. I mean, we, we started providing 100% covered healthcare at as very close to the beginning of the company, just maybe a year or two in. And I know for some people that has been extraordinarily impactful. So it's really up to, to each employee, I think, uh, where that sweet spot is. Oh, thank you so much. So I'll shift over now into I'm always interested in the things that companies are just thinking about, the leaders. Like, are there new ways to do some of these benefits in different ways or new benefits to start exploring or new programs? Not, not even benefits, but new programs that could benefit onboarding and hiring new people, especially women. So Heather, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah. it's. I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, one thing that's important to understand, Chris mentioned we're almost 500 people. During most of 2020, we were flat at 170 people. And so the takeaway from that is we are just coming out of a massive period of hyper growth. And the other thing Chris mentioned is different benefits don't resonate with different people. I spent a lot of my career as a product leader, so I have a really strong customer orientation. So to answer that question, the first thing I would tell you is I need to learn more from my customers. I've got 500 people now. They have very different needs. And so one of the big priorities for this year is actually to run a benefits survey um, that goes beyond benefits to understand what people value and appreciate. It's really easy for companies to read what's going on in the market, to hear news, to copy other companies. But unless you're making choices that are designed to fit your culture, your values, your mission, your people, then it's not clear you're doing the right thing. So that's actually the point in time that we're at. I will tell you from a market perspective, one of the dynamics we're seeing is that, especially in tech and biotech, companies continue to be really progressive and advancing their parental leave policies. And so we're looking really closely at the market. We want to 
relative to our peer set in that space be incredibly competitive. So that's one where we're studying peers, looking at trends, working with our benefits broker. And maybe the last thing I'll share that's deeply on my mind, we've talked about programs and policy a lot. There are cultural intangibles that make companies great to work for families and women. And I thought to bring that to light, I would just share a story with you that happened recently on Slack. So we have channels for women and parents and all of those things. And recently a woman spoke up and said, I've got young children. Can anybody out there help me understand how you daydream? Like, how do you even find time to daydream? And it spawned, I went and looked this morning, there were 21 responses. It spawned one of the most vulnerable and intimate threads that I've been a part of in my career. And I can only wish when I had my first child that I had been at a company that created space for those conversations because I felt alone and I was struggling and I looked around and I saw women with pictures of beautiful families on their desks. And I just thought, how are they doing this? Because it feels impossible to me. And in that moment and in that thread, we created space to talk about how hard it is and to be there for each other and support each other. And that to me is what cultural intangibles are about. Like, do you create space for safety, for sharing, for support? It's a reflection of our value, we care. So the question on my mind of what next is, how do you scale that, right? Mm -hmm. We've taken that from 170 to 500. It delights me every day that I still see that beauty in our culture. How do you take that to a thousand? How do you take that beyond? And most of your growth is sounds like it was during the pandemic, which yes. is an interesting time yes. as well. So are you looking at, and I'm sure you've done it already, but you know, the research continues to say that the relationship between an employee and his or her manager is the thing that connects and retains. Any anything you're doing in that space? Yeah, that's one. That one is near and dear to my heart. I know all the data. I mean, it's and the cliche, right? People quit managers, not their company, but the data yes. backs it up. Managers drive 70% of the variability in an employee's engagement and so on and so on. We've invested a lot in managers from the very beginning. So I can name some of the programs related to that. We work with a vendor and do a significant investment in training in all of our managers. Um, we offer coaching. We offer executive coaching and we we track and we measure it and so we do an engagement survey twice a year there's a whole set of questions related to manager effectiveness performance managers living the values and i have to tell you one of my great delights is how high the manager scores have been through the pandemic frankly oh, that's good and i think it's a reflection of the investment we're making there's always opportunity becoming a manager is not something no one's born a manager Right. You have to invest in those skills. You have to coach these people. And maybe the last thing I'll mention is we've, um, as we've built the people operations team, we've built out a function called the people business partner or the HR business partner. And they actively coach our leaders and our senior leaders on all things organ talent, which is having a big impact in the organization. Right. Chris, any thoughts about, about this question or anything that Heather and I have been chatting about? I mean, it's it's hard to have better words than Heather does. I know, uh, she's great. <laughs> but I, I just, I'd reiterate everything that she said. I mean, we invest a lot in our leaders. And I think part of that is is that we're trying to do something that's never been done. And we're bringing together a group of people who typically don't end up working together. Um, you know, different kinds of scientists who, other than in companies like ours, don't work together, which means new kinds of language and people on cross-functional teams that are trying to learn, you know, the technical language of what we do. 
But underlying the success is really the, the managers and others who are, who are learning how to build our culture and our kind of process. And so we've put a lot of investment there. And I think it's, it's critical for a company like ours, any kind of deep tech company, probably any company at all, to be successful. And thank you so much for that. Um, bringing back to something Heather said, that caring environment or, or that vulnerability, I mean, how that's a tough, especially in technology, you know, you have the failing fast kind of thing, but how do you make it more vulnerable? How have you, you know, done that? What I've seen is that there have been a set of leaders who've been at the company for a while, who've been vulnerable across the company. And I think that creates, a, for some people that creates the opportunity and the belief that it's okay to be vulnerable in this space, that that's not something that's punished. And that's probably not true at a lot of places. That's kind of my belief is one way that we've that we've created that space. I don't know, Heather, you probably have better words. I 100% agree. And I would add to that, it has to be role modeled from the top. You know, the CEO, the executive team, if they're not out there, you know, showing the heart on their sleeve, being open and vulnerable, it creates space for no one else to do the same. I think the other, maybe a tactical thing that we do is, we have a weekly all hands and it's a really dare i say i'm going to use a word that an exec coach used when they were visiting when the all hands ended he turned to me and said wow that was really an intimate experience and it hadn't crossed my mind at them but three years in i will tell you it feels that way and somehow we've managed to maintain that intimate personal feeling once a week with the whole company and i think it's a really important time that we share so do you always, I'm going to ask a blunt question here, because you can offer men and women parental leave. And through the decades, you know where I'm going with this, yes, I through, do. The, through the years, women take it, right? Yeah. And men often don't, even if it's offered. How have you, I mean, you're saying that men have, you know, men and company leaders, women and men have to do that, have to sh- you know, show, be kind of at the forefront of utilizing that. So my big question for you is, this is going to be blunt, but do men take parental leave? (laughs) Yes, they do. And they could take more, but yes, they do. And I'll share two dynamics I've observed. One is that, and this is a hypothesis, but look, there's the demographics, the generational demographics within a workplace are always shifting because time's always passing, right? And there's just a new generation coming into the workforce that is just demanding and expecting to live different lives than the generations before them. And so I see a whole generation of men saying, absolutely, so much so, and this is the second point I wanna make, I've seen men recently post in Slack photos of their family and children and express gratitude for our parental leave program and for their opportunity to spend time with their families. And when they do that, they, broadcast a message that it's okay to do this and i appreciate this and so yeah it always brings me great joy when i see men expressing thanks for the leave and and do you have i appreciate that do you have ergs then i think you mentioned like do you have some kind of networking and talking specifically about women at this point yeah we have an inclusion council um Mm. and so the inclusion council plays a really active role in obviously trying to create an environment where all the people at the company feel a sense of belonging here and and their focus right now is we spend every month 
really celebrating an underrepresented group. We learn, we act, we um, you know repeat that each month with a, a group of a different focus. So that's that's where we're at with ERGs. Thank you so much. So Heather, anything else you'd like to brag about before I give you that last question? Great, thanks, Dr. Madsen. There is one thing I want to mention. So we published our first ESG report earlier this year. It was important to us that we did that within the first year of going public to demonstrate leadership within the space. We made a commitment in that report that by 2030, after accounting for our non-binary representation in the workforce, that we would have equal representation between men and women company-wide and VP and above. And I just think it's really important that we do the work to create diverse slates and hire the best candidate and also set targets for where we wanna be going. And so I just wanted to share that with you. And I would challenge other companies in the state to think about where they wanna be and set the right goals for themselves so they can get there. I love that. And I love that you've made that public, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, exactly. a, that's a bold move, yes. I think. And, but it, it's what we need to hold ourselves accountable, particularly with, with companies and particularly here in the state of Utah. So what final advice would you give to other business owners and leaders based on your experiences with these types of offerings? Chris, I'll have you start this one. Yeah, I, th I think that what we have found is that by engaging really deeply in our employees' lives and, and caring for them really deeply, we get a different level of engagement mm -hmm. back. And if it's important for your business to have extraordinarily engaged employees, which I imagine it is for most, you need to do that work. And I think if you do, you'll find that over time you're, you're rewarded not only in kind of the moral imperative of doing the right thing to take care of the people around you and your community, but also I think uh, down to the bottom line, which is what we talked about in the beginning. Uh, and both those things matter. And I think we and others in this space are, are trying to raise the bar pretty high. And especially here in Utah, it's something that we pride ourselves on is trying to lead by example and try and raise the bar for all of our peer companies in the space as well. Thank you. And I love that you've both talked about how the culture is actually the, the most important thing. And then the policies and, and practices and so forth to support that because it becomes just a checklist mm -hmm. if it's not really deep. So I, I love that you've really highlighted that. Heather, some of your final advice. Yeah, I'm going to build on your comment, Dr. Madsen. I mean, there, you really have to start with why before you get into what. And so you have to back up to your strategy. I mean, it's, it's culture, it's mission, it's given that. What's the kind of talent that you need to attract and retain? You know, it's understanding what that talent is, what other options they have in the market and, and being clear on the company that you're trying to build and then designing for that with intention as opposed to just, to your point, um, creating a checklist. It really is a moment to reinforce values, to build culture. Maybe the last ingredient I'll mention is the commitment has to start from the top of the company. Yeah. Right. There just has to be a deep belief from and commitment from the top that these things matter. It feels to me, Heather, that more and more people, you talked about the different generations, that people are looking for that. And I think people get if it's from the top or yeah. if it's just a checklist or if it's deeper. I think they get that quite quickly. I, they do. And I think that's at the root of this whole big reset and great resignation that we're all talking about. People are choosing with their feet. They're leaving places and going to places where they're going to be treated well.
Thanks to my guests, Chris Gibson and Heather Kirkby for joining me today. And thank you as listeners for taking the time to join us today on this podcast episode hosted by the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University in partnership with Utah Public Radio, USU Extension, and the John M. Huntsman School of Business. Thanks to Nick Pora for his technical support. The Utah Women and Leadership Project's core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. To learn more about our research, resources, and events, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you.